Explorable is a podcast about travel, disability, and inclusion. I'm Josh Loebner, Director of Strategy at Design Sensory. I'm co-host Toby Willis, Senior Product Manager for Inclusive Technology and President of the Ability Inclusion Movement at Expedia Group. We're both blind. And we love everything travel. This is Explorable. We interview experts, advocates, and allies of tourism, destinations, and disability to make each journey more explorable. Welcome to this edition of Explorable, the premier B2B podcast where we help travel professionals become more inclusive destinations and tour operators and hoteliers and all components of travel for those of us who live with disabilities. And before I get started today, I just want to say that it's April here. We're recording in April and it's Autism Acceptance Month. So we're so excited to be talking this episode about autism And for those of us who are so excited to get back to traveling whenever the pandemic allows, we want to be prepared to uh, receive all this pent-up revenge travel and be sure that we include the millions of people in the world who live with autism. And uh, on that note, Josh, how are you doing? How's your spring going? Toby, my spring is going pretty great. The weather's warming up. Excited to get back out and travel and and, uh, really looking forward to this podcast. So for everybody listening, just before we introduce our guest, I think the thing to consider when it comes to disability is for those people who might not be directly connected to the disability travel and tourism market, oftentimes disability is seen as a very thin framing of maybe people in wheelchairs or people who are blind or deaf. But the definition and the the population when it comes to disability is expanding and growing and, and continuing to really see how more people are part of that minority, including those people who have autism in their families. And so today we're talking with Uma Srivastava, and she's the chief operating officer of Culture City. And you may not know about Culture City, but in this podcast, hopefully you'll learn a little bit more about the impact, the power, and where Culture City touches across the country at so many venues and destinations. So Uma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Josh and Toby, for having me on today. Uma, why don't we just dive in? Tell us a little bit more about your background, your role at Culture City, and and what Culture City is all about. Yeah, of course. Uh, So I'll get started with myself first. My name is Uma Shervastava. I am new to Nashville. That is my new home. Personal note, had a small 10-person COVID-safe pandemic wedding last June and and moved on up. Before that, Birmingham was home for me for 12 years. That's where I got my undergraduate and graduate degrees. I worked for a startup healthcare company, of course, Culture City, and a few nonprofits around town. Uh, My home home is Meridian, Mississippi. That's where I was born and raised, and my parents still live there. And I was originally introduced through Culture City because as a young professional out of college, we we all have the mindset that we want to get back. We want to contribute to society, make 
and make that a lasting change. So my mentor introduced me to Dr. Julian Maha, who's the founder. And even though I personally do not have a sensory need, I do know loved ones with a sensory need and realize some of the barriers that they face when navigating day-to-day life. So I knew this was something that was close to my heart. I followed through, started off as a volunteer, and then became more and more involved. And, and here we are almost six years later as the COO. So it's been a, a fun journey. Every day is absolutely different. For Culture City, Culture City is a nonprofit. We are based out of Birmingham, Alabama. We were founded in 2013 and since then have had an impact not only nationally but internationally. Our mission is to make the nevers possible, whether it's having an individual with a sensory need taking their first airplane flight, uh, running their first marathon, winning their first wrestling championship, attending their first sporting event, zoo experience, you name it. We're here to make the nevers possible. And so uh, a couple of we have a couple of different programs that we do. The main program that we'll be chatting about today is going to be our sensory inclusive certification. So we have worked with over 650 venues in four countries to make those venues certified. So that way, as long as those venues doors are open throughout the day or for events, fans are able to attend regardless of their ability. Wow. So y'all really are global in four countries. That's amazing. And before we get in deeper into uh, the workings of those programs and uh, how businesses can be more inclusive, for the listeners who aren't familiar with the autism experience, can you tell us more about what is autism? How many people in the world live with autism? Any pertinent facts that we that we should know before we get started into the how? Yeah, of course. I will uh, skip over some of the science parts of autism. Uh, We'll try to keep this podcast uh, educational and light. But as far as stats go, the CDC has reported that one in 54 individuals in the U.S. is diagnosed um, on the autism spectrum disorder, so ASD, as you oftentimes hear it. Oftentimes, those with, with autism have difficulties and have sensory challenges. So let's say, for example, they're going with their family to a zoo. The lights, the crowds, the sounds, that overall environment can oftentimes be overwhelming and sometimes physically painful. These individuals also oftentimes have other social interaction challenges that they're working with. And we've seen that a lot of the the sensory challenges are also found in other conditions like Down syndrome, PTSD, ADHD, anxiety, cystic fibrosis, uh, early onset dementia. So Culture City has really expanded its reach. Yes, we do focus on autism, but we focus on those with sensory needs. So that's about one in six individuals in the U.S. We're looking at children and adults. And so it's about um, one in six individuals right now. You know, we we don't have to raise hands or self-identify, but I'm sure we know somebody who has one of those conditions that I listed, if not us ourselves. So uh, our focus is to ensure that we are being inclusive. And by being inclusive, we are welcoming folks with all sensory needs, not just one or two conditions. I really appreciate what you said earlier about kind of making the nevers possible. And mm-hmm. and it's something that I think a lot of families uh, and individuals and groups may be dealing with, whether it's a, a trip to the ballpark or a trip to the zoo, yeah. whether they're, uh, you know, a local in this community or they're, they're traveling. How can they make all of those nevers possible? And, and from Culture City's perspective, you have really a, a multi-layered approach of opportunities that, mm-hmm. that kind of build on each other. You're not just... 
singular in dimension to offer training, but you have staff training, you have sensory bags, venue signage, and, and so much more. How do all of these pieces work together to be able to support those families and individuals and guests who want to experience those nevers? How, how, do, how do all these pieces fit together and how does Culture City bring that to life for a destination or attraction? For sure. Josh, I will answer part two of your question first. You know, now more than ever, due to the pandemic, we've all faced social social isolation. You, Toby, myself, others listening, haven't been able to hug loved ones, see loved ones. We've all been trapped in Zoom meetings day and night. We haven't gone to our favorite concert, sat on a plane, Heck, even, you know, gone out and had a meal in public until recently. But individuals and families who have loved ones with sensory needs have faced this, you know, oftentimes since their diagnosis. We'll hear families say, well, you know, mom stayed back with our loved one who has a sensory need and dad and the other siblings went to a baseball game. And sure, those individuals that did end up going to that baseball game had a great time, but you, you've left half your family at home or part of your family. And, and that social isolation really does affect individuals. And now that we've gone through it for a little over a year, we, we can all relate to that. And so that's why we're here to make sure everybody has that opportunity to enjoy and not just part of the family. So that's why it's important for us to make sure that individuals, communities, families are, are all you know intertwined and, and accepting and inclusive. So that's part two. Part one, yes, absolutely correct. Uh, we provide staff training, sensory bags, signage, social story development and oftentimes sensory rooms at these venues. We believe that having sensory bags is important, but we'd love to educate staff. Again, you know, if the three of us here on the podcast worked at a venue, we'd be in good shape to assist an individual having a sensory overload. But if none of us had ever interacted with an individual, we wouldn't know what to do, how to approach that situation properly, language to use, language not to use. So we provide staff training so everybody has that baseline understanding on on what to do when they do see that 15-year-old teenager agitated and, and feeling overwhelmed. Of course, sensory bags are a key component. Oftentimes, when families go to zoos, museums, they're allowed to take in bags. But maybe you're rushing out the door. It's time to, you know, wrap up at your hotel room if you're traveling, and you might have forgotten those headphones, or you might have forgotten that fidget. But having these tools available on site at no cost really allows these individuals and families to to visit places and know that they do have backup. And of course, you know, our, our sensory rooms have won awards internationally, and for us, that just provides additional layer uh, of comfort and security knowing that if they if a family of four has spent you know x hundred dollars on tickets and then used public transportation or paid that expensive parking that they can stay for that entirety of the game and that you know they're not going to have to leave in 15 minutes when their loved one is having that sensory overload and of course we have uh, individuals who are, are perfectly fine they don't necessarily need a bag or they don't necessarily need to use a sensory room We'll have some individuals come in, they'll check out that bag, use the bag, and that's sufficient. And then we have some individuals who come in and use every tool that's provided. But we just want options available so that way, again, folks feel comfortable coming in and attending. No, that's terrific. And I do want to have a quick follow-up for those listeners that may not be familiar. You know, if you're an attraction or a destination that hasn't connected yet with Culture City or or another organization to support uh, neurodiversity and autism, can can you just define or, or share a little bit more? more about what 
a sensory room is and and uh, the benefit of it? Of course. So sensory rooms are typically uh, converted suites or other rooms that might have been uh, used for other purposes, offices, etc. And Culture City comes in with our team of trained professionals and we modify that room and design it to where it has dim lighting, ambient paint colors. It has different sensory items in there, such as bean bags, visual tactile features. Uh, auditory features and it really helps an individual focus in on the calm environment provided to them rather than that overwhelming environment they just stepped out of. Typically individuals use the sensory room maybe for 10 or 15 minutes and then they'll go back out and enjoy the event again. We never allow recommend that two different individuals or two different groups use the sensory room at the same time just because my sensory overload will look different than your sensory overload and and because this is such an intimate private uh, experience we don't want to to violate uh, anybody's privacy but again these rooms look and feel a little different depending on what venue you're talking about and depending on how big or small the space is but these rooms exist in Zoos, they exist in airports, ballparks, arenas, stadiums, coffee shops, you name it. And we've got rooms all throughout the nation so and world, actually. So we're very proud of, of the work that we're doing there. Uma, I'm really intrigued by your app. Um, you know, I'm a technologist uh, by training. I'm a product mm-hmm. manager at a tech company. And I know that, uh, you know, using technology, it's, it's surely made my life more independent and it mm-hmm. scales well uh, for those who you know aren't ready or don't have the capital budget to build uh, these century rooms. And for those who do, an app maybe bridges some you know divides or some segments of the of the travel experience. So tell us about the app that you all have developed and and how folks can use that and how end users benefit from it. Yeah, yeah, of course. And and thank you for that comment, Toby. You know, being a technologist, it's essential that we have something like this readily available in everybody's pocket. So the app is absolutely free to download from the App Store or Google Play. Individuals, families, venue managers, uh, if you know you're a travel agent, encourage anybody and everybody to check the app out right off the bat. The app has a list of all of the sensory inclusive venues listed by location. So if you're planning a trip to New York City, for example, you can just quickly search New York City and it'll pull up all the different venues that are inclusive, coffee shops, ballparks, concert venues. So as you and your family or you and your group of friends plan for a trip, you now know where it might be, you know, a bit easier and it might be a, a smoother experience compared to some other locations. Within each profile, within each venue, we've built something called a social story. I alluded to this a bit earlier, but um, social stories are a visual narrative to help individuals prepare for their visit. It's written in first person. So whether you're going with your five-year-old child or an adult who has a sensory need, they can view that social story and be absolutely prepared. It'll let them know where to check out the bags from. It'll let them know where those quiet areas, those sensory rooms are. It'll let them know other important information like restrooms, what types of uniforms the ushers wear. So if you do have questions, you know exactly who to ask. And so those are some of the features. We also have an online community on the app. So if, for example, you are visiting the Detroit area and you have a question about one of the venues, you can post a comment in there and then somebody from that area or 
or a venue manager can respond and say, yes, you know, so-and-so, or, or this is the information that's available. And so there, there's a lot of good information on the app. Of course, we're constantly updating it, improving it, and making sure its its purpose is truly what it needs to be. All of our venues are listed there, so encourage everybody to go check it out. I think that sounds great. And just me as a disabled traveler, uh, broadly speaking, I really want to be able to find that information before I travel and and very granularly. So it's great to hear that uh, Culture City has built out an app and and allows families and individuals to really search out everything and anything that's important to them on their journey towards hopefully, again, erasing those nevers and making those nevers possible. But I want to take a step back, Uma, and, and maybe you could share a little bit with me it seems like Culture City has grown so much and now is a global platform and force um, mm-hmm. with digital technology and the app and, of course, the sensory room, sensory bags. And, and you're at major league stadiums, NBA arenas, aquariums, zoos. But take us back to the beginning. How, how did Culture City go from, from zero to now? And, and where do you attribute the, the positive uh, growth of your organization? Yeah, it's definitely been a fun journey at Culture City, just watching it grow from a volunteer all the way to this point. Um, There's never been a dull day. Let me tell you that. It's always been new and exciting. So Culture City was originally founded by a set of parents. They are both physicians, Dr. Julian Kong, uh, uh, sorry, Dr. Julian Maha and Michelle Kong. And uh, both, both of these physicians have two children. Their older son was diagnosed with autism several years ago. And when they first received that diagnosis, physicians themselves, medical professionals, didn't really know what was next for them. They didn't know how to navigate these waters. I'm sure you had local support groups, things like that, but they really faced that social isolation. And they wanted to make sure that both of their sons had the ability to experience and enjoy events and that, you know, not one son would have to stay at home while the other son went out and got to enjoy this. So, that, that was kind of brewing in their minds. They formed Culture City. They were making a lot of different local events sensory inclusive, so that way they wouldn't have to wait for that one sensory-friendly hour. In the meantime, the, the Birmingham Zoo w- was kind of uh, dealing with a couple of negative incidences where there was a family who visited and they paid for their tickets, but after 15 minutes or so, the, the loved one with the sensory need was having a meltdown. They had to leave. The family you know, wasn't getting their money's worth. The staff really didn't know what to do, how to help out. So the, the two organizations connected. We actually applied for a grant and received funding. And this is where our training certification came about. We in, recruited 200 families with various sensory needs, different socioeconomic status, and asked them to visit the zoo for six months as they normally would have and allowed us or asked them to allow us to follow them to, to better understand their experience and see where the gaps in, in the, the experience were. On the flip end, we were interviewing uh, st- zoo staff employees and asking them, you know, how confident are you? Where do you, you need extra education or support? So with that, after six months, we realized that we needed sensory training for staff and we needed to have some sensory bags on site for families in case they forgot some of their items. And this, this actually was published in peer-reviewed journals. So this wasn't something that we were just doing in our garage and at a coffee shop. After that, we very much thought the sensory inclusive certification would be a Birmingham or an Alabama thing. Never in our wildest dreams did we think this was going to become something that would grow into an international certification. But uh, unfortunately, in 
I believe it was 2015 or 2016, there was an autism-friendly hockey game up in Cleveland at Quicken Loans Arena, which is now Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. And the family came in and, you know, even on autism friendly night, they had a rough experience right off the bat, starting with security. This uh, young child who was about 10 years old was non-speaking. He had a tablet that he used to communicate and per security's instructions, they had to take that tablet off of him. And to Carson, that was his voice. Uh, Of course, mom and dad were getting upset. Carson was getting agitated. Security was getting agitated. And unfortunately, the family had to go home without even getting to enjoy this one night that was supposed to be for them. Given social media, the, the power of social media, the mom tweeted out, this and this happened, you know, why weren't we allowed? What can we do? This has to change. The executive team was very quick to respond. They found Culture City, learned about the training and said, hey, is this something you can provide to our staff? Culture City said, sure. We got on a plane, hopped up and trained, you know, 1,200 of their staff in their in their giant uh, arena, had our PowerPoint up on the Jumbotron. And that's really what put us on the national level. It was one of the years that the Cleveland Cavaliers were headed to their championship. So all eyes were already on them. And especially with this negative incident, you know, everybody was really watching what they were doing. And ever since then, you know, we started signing on more and more NBA venues, MLB venues, NFL venues, zoos, aquariums, science centers, and it's now just evolved to something this big. When you talk about big brands, you know, we're very proud of our partnerships with the NBA, NFL, MLB, and other major league venues. We really feel that if if we're vetted and if we're trusted by these larger leagues, that, you know, folks will realize that this is something that's absolutely important. So I just want to take a second to thank all of these major league organizations and their staff for ensuring that this is something that they truly want to do and that they're not just doing it because they have to check another box. I, I think that's great to hear because, you know, just as an advertiser and, and in the branding world, uh, if people are not familiar with a brand and yet there could be some type of connection to help elevate that with an already known brand, it makes it so much more powerful and it makes mm-hmm. that connection easier. And so while people may not know about Culture City, they everyone I'm sure listening knows about Major League Baseball or even more locally, for example, the, the Birmingham Zoo or the Georgia Aquarium. And to know that those places are connected to Culture City, it, it gives a reassurance and a um, uh, validity to you. So that's great to hear that these brands are are connecting to you and and seeing the value of it, which is phenomenal. Exactly. And that's what we appreciate the most is we're not just an organization or something that has to be checked off in order to you know, move on with employee training. People actually value this and, and folks know that this is important. So, so that's what we're proud of. So Uma, I think it would be helpful to our listeners who are interested in getting started on their disability inclusion journey, especially as it relates to this topic, to hear some common questions that you all have gotten over the years and uh, how, you know, what the questions and, and answers that you provide, you know, not only in your training, but in your awareness efforts as well. Of course, uh, Toby, thanks for asking that. You know, hopefully if folks are listening to this and when they reach out, they'll already be half prepared to sign on instead of re-asking those questions. But yeah, the the most common question is how long does this take? You know, how long is training? What type of expectations do I need to set for my staff? And so training itself, uh, it's a 30-minute video followed by a 10-question quiz and staff must score 80% or higher in order to obtain their certificate. 
the the process for a venue itself is about six to eight weeks. Contracting is something we don't take into account. Oftentimes, legal teams take their sweet old time, and there's nothing I can do. There's nothing the venue contact can do to speed that up. But once everything is signed and paid for, it it's about six to eight weeks. The next question we get, of course, is pricing. I will say our pricing is very sustainable. I don't want to share numbers on the podcast in case somebody listens to this a year later. And if our prices increase for whatever reason, I don't want them, you know, but I just want to say, you know, pricing is fairly sustainable. We have community libraries with 10 staff all the way up to the San Diego Zoo, the Georgia Aquarium signing up with us. So you know, always reach out. We can always find ways for funding, whether it's through grants, sponsorships, etc. The next big question that we get is, you know, what's in it for me? What? Why should I do this for my venue? It's not mandated by any sort of state organization entity. And what's in it for you is that you're allowing a, a part of the community who oftentimes would feel isolated, would not come out to actually attend a game, uh, an event, a, a trip to the zoo or to the museum. For the finance folks, you know, we truly are increasing your revenue. We are increasing that bottom line. We did a study with the Cleveland Cavaliers just because our first sensory room was built there. And that last full season before the pandemic, we saw about a $100,000 increase in sales directly attributed to having the sensory room, sensory bags, and the certification there. The last year, we launched with the, the Sharks out in California two weeks before the shutdown, and they had a family of four who would go to a game just a season, and after they saw the sensory bags, the staff training, they converted to season ticket holders. And it's unfortunate that you know COVID came around and shut everything and hoping that the family is able to attend a game again once fans are allowed, but you know th- these stories add up. Um, not only are they warming to the heart, but they also, you know, uh, have an impact on that bottom line. So, yeah, those are those are some of the typical questions that we get in our initial convos. Do you get specific questions about the autism experience and are people you know, genuinely curious or maybe misinformed about autism inclusion? Or I should say uh, neurodivergence, because as you said at the top of the show, that's mm-hmm. it's a little bit broader spectrum than than just the autism diagnosis. Yeah, we we still have a handful of folks who still want to understand what neurodiversity is or what sensory needs are. And we're more than happy to spend the extra time with them to explain it. Sometimes we'll see that, you know, an executive wants to see this through, but they've handed it down to one of their assistants and he or she might not be as as, um, educated on this. But for the most part, I would say majority of our conversations, folks at least know about sensory needs. They're aware of the challenges and they're ready to troubleshoot and solve those problems. I love that you started the conversation about some of the kind of the, the impetus of Culture City and, and its growth, where there were some some negative stories that you came in and, and saved the day, whether it's in Cleveland or other places like the Birmingham Zoo. But then also you've just shared some amazing, powerful, positive stories about the power of Culture City, whether it's in the training or the sensory rooms, that it could really translate to a business return on investment. And, and I feel like from my perspective – uh, and I'm sure Toby's as well. That's the key for our listeners that might be an attraction or a venue or a destination that hasn't really started out on this path. Oftentimes, it may seem like it's it's just a huge mountain to 
to traverse and so many different uh, considerations. But here you're sharing a relatively easy process to, to move down the path of inclusivity from the training to the signage to, to other elements that Culture City offers. And also some, some really impactful uh, testimonials from a return on investment perspective where brands are sharing with you that it's not just altruistic, but rather there is a bottom line value to being more inclusive and to welcoming people who are neurodiverse to their venues and, and event spaces and attractions. So that's that's just wonderful, Uma. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I love hearing the stories. I love getting on social media and, you know, every individual we're able to impact. It, I just it's so exciting because that's one more person who's able to experience something a typical individual might take advantage of, you know. And I think as well, just one other point to share with our listeners, oftentimes there's this confusion where when it comes to uh, disability and travel and tourism, oftentimes maybe if you're not familiar with that audience, the word accessibility comes to mind and people simply think Mm -hmm. of, well, accessibility means ramps or accessibility means Mm -hmm. water doorways for wheelchairs. But the disability community is so much more um, nuanced and broad than than, than just accessibility. There's inclusion needs as well. Yes. And really, that's something that uh, Culture City provides is it's not only the accessibility, which is important, it's a human right, and it's powerful, but as mm-hmm. well, it's the inclusion really that, that brings it up and that layers on another level of welcoming people with disabilities and their families. Yeah. So that that is phenomenal and uh, so glad to hear from Culture City and everything that you're bringing. You're exactly right. You know, uh, there's another stat that we use in our training and Oftentimes when folks think of accessibility, they say, oh, yeah, we've got the ADA entrance, we've got the ramp, we've got hearing devices, what else am I doing? Well, when you look at the disability population at a large, 84% of individuals actually have an invisible disability. So they might look very typical, but oftentimes they, they are battling with that invisible disability and they kind of get pushed because they say, oh, you look pretty typical. This is a bit of a question out of left field. The name Culture City with the K, where does it come from? Yeah, that's that's actually a question I answered just last week during Autism Acceptance Day. Somebody said, why culture with a K? And it's because when Julian and Michelle founded Culture City, they wanted to change culture. They wanted to make sure this was a solution that wasn't just outside of you know, just wasn't out of the box solution. They wanted it to be outside the box. So they decided to spell Culture City with a K to shake up culture and to change things up. I love that answer. And I really love the word culture when it comes to disability inclusion, because oftentimes people think of the medical model, but there's a social model when it comes to disability. And that's what we want. We want to be included in culture and in society. We don't want to be excluded and left out. Again, as you said before, it's those nevers that you want to make possible. So, wow, I, I love that name and, and I love Culture City. This is great. So, Uma, let's uh, let's end on a positive note and tell us a story about a brand or a, a, a business, a venue that has really leaned into this space and has maybe a little bit farther along on their journey and has given you a success story that you can share with us. Yeah, there, there's two I'd like to share, Toby. One is from the perspective of, a, of an employee, and then one is a perspective from a fan. So very early on, we were trading all of the large uh, sports venues in New York City, uh, City Field, Barclays. And so there was an employee there who was kind of being grumpy, and I'll use the word grumpy. You know, Why do I have to do this? Why am I sitting through this training? Uh, is it mandatory? We already have so many other trainings to take. And so the manager said, sir, can you just please sit through this? Uh, you know, we hope that you will find this meaningful 
And this individual is probably in his 60s. You know, he's retired. This is his his second job or his retirement, keeping him busy during that. And once the training was done, he was actually the first person to stand up in the room and say thank you. Because for the longest time, he had a neighbor who had a sensory need, but he didn't know how to engage with that neighbor. He didn't know how to connect with that neighbor. But thanks to the training that we provided and the the tips and tricks that we shared in the training, he now has a great relationship with his neighbor. So we were able to turn somebody who was, you know, grumpy, kind of rolling his eyes, saying, what's the point of this, to saying, yes, I see the value of this, not only at work, but outside, I'm able to better connect with my loved ones or for with folks that I care about. So that that's from an employee side. From a, a fan side, we have partnered with Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. I know all three of us on the call have, you know, ties to Tennessee. And there were a set of grandparents who really wanted to take their five-year-old grandchildren, both twins, to a Predators game. Now, if anybody's ever been to a hockey game or watched it on TV, it's loud, especially when you have 17,000 fans who are intense, who are excited. And the grandparents were really nervous about leaving one of the twins at home because he had a sensory need and only taking one. Again, it, it's not fair. How do grandparents pick from one over the other? Who stays home with the other grandchild? And they learned about Culture City. They knew about the bags. They knew about the quiet areas. They took both of their grandchildren to the hockey game, and they said that was one of the best experiences they had. Uh, the whole family ended up on the Jumbotron, which made it even more exciting. But again, thanks to the the training and the sensory bags, we, we had a, an experience where their grandparents got to bond with their grandchildren, and they got to pass on something that's special and important to them, like sports. That's phenomenal. And I'm sure there are so many more stories than that one. Just they keep layering on as Culture City continues to grow. Well, for those attractions or destinations that might not know where to go when it comes to connecting with Culture City, uh, Uma, where could they go? But then secondly, for any consumers that might be listening, any individuals or families that have near diversity within their family, where could they go as well? Yeah, no matter you know who you are, whether you're a business or a consumer, uh, check us out at culturecity.org. I will say that's culture with a K. Uh, check us out on our website, on our social media. If you're a family wanting to learn more about some of the, the products that we have, feel free to email us. There's a form on the bottom of the page. And if you're a venue, there's a special tab on the website that's a sensory inclusive program. Fill out that form. That information comes straight to me and I'll be be more than happy to get on the phone and, and kind of talk about the nitty gritty of the process and, and get you guys started. And, you know, again, thank you, Josh and Toby, for inviting me to the podcast and for allowing me to share a little bit more about the work that we're doing at Culture City. Uma, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show and to learn about the space. And I, I've certainly learned a lot and I've been working in accessibility and inclusion for almost 20 years. <laughs> I'll date myself. So I'm still learning and it, it's just been Fabulous to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Uma Shrivastava, Chief Operating Officer of Culture City. Uma, thanks so much. And join us next time on Explorable, the podcast for disability, accessibility, and inclusion in travel and tourism. Explorable is a Design Century original production in collaboration with the Travelability Summit and produced by Brad Carpenter. Find out more about our productions, podcasts, and insights at designcentury.com slash originals and travelabilitysummit.com. You can connect with Josh Loebner or myself, Toby Willis, on LinkedIn.